listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Again, if you're a guest, welcome. My name is Bill, one of the pastors on staff, and uh, we are in a series on the Gospel of Matthew. And so if you have a Bible or a phone app or an iPad or anything, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 14. If you don't have one, there's, there should be one in the, in the seat pocket close to you. You can grab that one. Uh, follow along as we kind of work through this book written to the nation of Israel to tell them that Jesus was the promised Messiah. So we've been working ourselves through this book for a while and we'll continue in it. There, uh, so there's this, there's this, I'm gonna move this because this is gonna bother me. I'm gonna trip over it or something. Um, there's this great scene and what I consider the greatest of all the Star Wars movies, The Empire Strikes Back, which is true. That is a true statement. Um, there's this great scene where Luke is his, his X-wing fighter has crashed into the, into the pond, right? And uh, he's like, oh, we'll never get it out now. And then there's Master Yoda who says uh, with him, he says, so certain are you, always what you cannot do. Hear you nothing that I say. And then Luke's, you know, he's like, well, okay, I'll try. And he's like, no, famous line. Do not try. There is no try. Do or do not, there is no try. And so, of course, we know what happens if you are a true follower of, of uh, American culture. Luke tries, he fails, and then Master Yoda gets up and he's like, and he pulls, it, pulls out the X-wing and, and Luke's like, I can't believe it. And Yoda says, that is why you fail. And, and growing up in the 80s, I always identified myself more with Han Solo. I mean, I, was just, I always thought Luke was weak sauce. I was Han, right? Everyone wanted to be Han. No one cared about Luke. But in, in this case, I feel like in the spiritual realm, that's me. How often do I find myself telling, not Yoda, because Yoda doesn't exist. How often do I tell, find myself telling God, I, I can't, that can't be done. That can't be done. Or, okay, I guess I'll try that, Right? And, and it's like the Lord Jesus is, is saying in his word and what he's trying to get across to his disciples and us is there is no try, do or do not, right? And that is why you fail. You don't believe, that is why you fail. And, and this, this is what the Lord Jesus has been trying to get across to his disciples time and time again. And it's like he's saying to them, hear you nothing that I say. Hear you nothing that I say. Always what cannot be done with you. And, and what you need to understand is God is for your faith, not just faith and faith, right? Because a lot of people talk about faith, we gotta have faith. We're not talking about faith and faith. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Faith is rooted in something deeper in God himself. And God is constantly trying to increase our faith because without faith, it is impossible to please him. He wants us to walk by faith, not by sight. And so he wants to draw us back to who he is and what he's done. Why? So that we live lives of faith, so that your faith is increased, so that your trust in him grows. And so what we're gonna see today is Jesus is gonna perform two miracles. Very common, if you grew up in the church, you, you, know, you were on the flanograph board or you know, there's probably a veggie tale about these. The, these are common miracles, but the goal that Jesus is trying to accomplish is to increase your faith, is that you would see and believe and then walk by faith. Because God wants to do something in us and through us, and that is gonna require faith. And so that's where we're gonna go today as we see Jesus building his disciples' faith, but also ours. Because the response of the follower cannot be, I'll try. Oh, that cannot be done. I don't believe it. 
Those aren't responses of the follower of Jesus, right? So let me read the entirety of, our, of the first miracle, very common miracle that everyone's familiar with. One of the only miracles, that's, it's actually the only miracle that's found in all four of the gospels besides the resurrection. And then we'll come back and unpack it a little bit. Verse 13. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. They ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. And he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied and they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who were eight were about 5,000 men besides women and children. And so, again, familiar miracle, right? It starts off saying, now when Jesus heard this, what is this? Uh, what Clint unpacked last week, that John the Baptist had been killed. Remember, John the Baptist was his cousin, right? And he was the forerunner. And so he hears the message. And when you put all four of the gospels, all the pieces, because different gospel writers, they kind of hit different angles of this story. But when you put it all together, what you find out is Jesus just found out John's dead. That's one, that's one thing. Number two, the disciples had just gone out on a mission, their first kind of go on on their own internship, and they came back. And so everyone's tired because they've been out serving and doing ministry. Jesus is tired and sad because he's lost his first cousin. And so Jesus says, let's get away. It's time. You, need a, you need a little three-weekend break. It's Labor Day. Let's go a little camping trip on the other side. Let's get in the boat and go to the other side. But everybody sees where they're going, and so they run around. And when they're pulling up thinking they're going to the lake, they're gonna have a little relaxing weekend, they see thousands of people just waiting for them on the shore. And I told you a couple of weeks ago when you're studying the Bible, one of the things you wanna observe is the atmosphere. What's going on in the text? Okay, think about it. Jesus is tired and sad. The disciples are tired and sad and they're kind of sick of people at this point. How many of you understand this? You go to work for eight hours a day, nine hours a day, and you come home and there's people there. And you're like, I don't know why y'all are here. Can somebody else walk the dog? Can somebody else vacuum that? I don't care if you need a sandwich. You can make your own sandwich. You can iron your own clothes. They're tired. They're weary. They don't really want to deal with all those people. But how does Jesus feel about them? When he saw them, he had compassion. And we looked at this word a couple weeks ago. It's a word that means from the guts. He's moved. And he's not just moved emotionally, he's moved to action, right? That's what he does. And so what he, we find out from the other gospel writers, he teaches and heals them all day long because he sees them as sheep without a shepherd, as John says. And then it finally gets late. Finally, get, the sun starts going down and the disciples, when it's evening, they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, this is a desolate place. We're in the middle of Rinkin. <laughs> and there's nothing in Rinkin. You ain't got nothing. You can't run for the border. You can't do anything in Rinkin. 
So you gotta send the people home. They gotta send them to the villages so they can get something to eat because they're hungry. What's interesting is the disciples identify the need. They see the need. They just say, let them take care of the need. Let them take care of themselves. Let them go home. But Jesus says to them, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And it's emphatic in the Greek text. It's you, you guys. Yes, there is a need. You got it. Now you deal with it, guys. Go do something about it. And he says this, John's gospel and the other gospel writers tell us because Jesus, number one, knows what he's gonna do already. And he's testing them. And actually what he, what he says when he gets the whole account, he goes to Philip and says, Philip, what are, how are we gonna feed all these people? Right? How are, we gonna, how are we gonna buy food for all these people? And Philip's like, Lord, I don't know. It would be like so much, it'd be, it'd be this many denarii, three quarters of a year's salary wouldn't be enough, Lord. We gotta send them home. You're right, we can't do it. You do it. You do it, right? And I think what the disciples do is they do what we do. We see a big need. We see there's a struggle. There's this thing out there. And we, what do we do? Okay, let's get out the P&L sheet. Let's get out the pros and cons sheet. Let's figure it out, guys. And so they go on a mission. Let's, let's get what we got. And so they go and scrounge. And there's 5,000 men, which, which most estimates are between 15 and 20,000 people because there's women and children as well. 20,000 people and all they can come up with is five loaves and two fish. There's one little kid over here, his mom packed him a Lunchable. And they say, all we got is a Lunchable, Jesus. We, can't, we really now can't do this. We, it sounds just like Luke, right? Well, I can't do it, it's too big, it's too large. It's, it's someone else's problem, let them deal with it. And it says, if Jesus is saying, hear you nothing that I say. Where have you guys been? Right? Where have you been all this time? Haven't you seen anything? And, and I think, I don't know about you, but how often I can relate to this. When you look around and see all the stuff, and some of you who all you do is watch cable news, you're the worst. Because all you do is you're great at identifying the problem. This is wrong, the government's wrong, the schools are wrong, the roads are wrong, the civil engineers are wrong, the colleges are wrong, every, the church is wrong, the neighborhood's wrong, their marriage is wrong, the way they raise their kids. And that's all we do is we identify all the problems. Everything's too bad, can't do anything. Oh, well, just, we just need Jesus. This is what mom always says. Don't watch today, mom, I hope you're not watching. She always says, we just need Jesus to come back. Yes, we do. But that's the solution. The world's a wreck. We just need Jesus to come back. And, and, and he will come back one day. But there's this idea that we can't do anything about it. We're just, oh, poor us. Poor, poor us. We just have to just suck it up and drive on. Can't ever do anything. And let me remind you what the Apostle Paul says to us. Yes, the world is broken. Yes, there's struggles. Yes, there's issues. But here's what, what Paul reminds us. To him who is able to do Catch the words now, far more abundantly than all we ask or even think. Not just he can do abundantly, not that he can just do more abundantly, that he can do far more abundantly than we ask or even think. Now, the question you gotta answer is, is that true? I mean, because I know we say that. Yeah, yeah, God, God's great, God's big, God's great. But do you really believe that? I mean, really. I mean, some of us are like, yeah, of course. Look what he did to the Red Sea. But he doesn't do that anymore. I mean, that was kind of the apostles thing. We just gotta wait for Jesus to come back. Or do you really believe that God 
can do far more and abundantly than you ask or even think. Because what Jesus is trying to get them to see and you to see this morning is that he still does and he still can. And that he wants to do it, how? Through his church. Notice the phrasing of the word. This is the most significant piece of this, of this verse. He does it according to the power at work, what? Within us. Underline that. That God wants to do things that you cannot even think and you can't even imagine. And he wants to do it not by you now. It doesn't say by us. It says within us. The power is within us. That he wants to do it through us. It's not by us, but it is through us. And that's what he's trying to get his disciples to see. And that's what he wants his church to see. Right? That's it. And so what does he tell them? They're like, we only have a Lunchable. That's all we have. We can't do anything. He says, bring them here. Give me the Lunchable. Now, does he need five little biscuits and two sardines? Does he need that? He doesn't need that. But he's trying to teach them something. He's trying to get them to see something, right? And so he says, bring them to me. And he takes the Lunchable and he looks up to heaven. Notice when Jesus prays, by the way, he's not like, all right, everyone bow your heads. Okay, he looks up to heaven. And so I'm not saying during prayer time you should look up because if you do, you're gonna be like, I feel weird, everyone's looking down. So I know, get Southern culture. But it's okay to pray looking into heaven. How do I know? Because Jesus does. So he looks up to heaven and he says a blessing, not because he's a Baptist, okay? This is a word, eulageo. It means to call down a blessing or to be thankful. So he says, God, Father, thank you for these biscuits. Thank you for these two fish. And I want you to use these things to show these people, specifically these 12 dudes you've given me, how great you are. Amen. And then he starts breaking them. Here you go, Peter. Matthew. James. John. Judas Iscariot. Simon the Zealot. Thaddeus. Barnabas. I mean, Bartholomew. And he just starts passing. And starts passing. And starts passing. And starts passing. And he keeps passing. Okay, and Peter comes back and it's like, okay, I'm out. Peter, here's some more. Matthew, here's some more. And he does it so that 15,000 people eat. And notice the, the wording of the, of the verse. It's very significant. He breaks the loaves and he gives to the disciples. He doesn't give it to the people. He doesn't say, okay, if your last name begins with C, come on up and get some bread and loaves. All right, C, we're going the E's. Anybody in the E's? No, he specifically gives it to the disciples and then the disciples take it to the people. Why? Because he's trying to teach them something, right? He is trying to teach them something. He wants them to see how ministry works because here, here's, here's what's interesting, okay? What, what, what's going on here is Jesus is giving us a metaphor for how he is going to work through his church in the midst of opposition, Right, so they, they, they break the bread, they, they hand out the bread, they all eat and are satisfied. Everybody gets enough. Not like I got a little piece of tail, that's all I got. Do you know what I mean? No, everyone eats till they're full. I mean, it's like Thanksgiving dinner afterwards, full, let's go watch the Cowboys lose. Yes, full, that's, that's what it is. And then he says, okay, go get the piece, go get the scraps, go get the leftovers. And so the disciples go out with a basket and they each come back and they're like, I got an entire, you got an entire basket? 12 full baskets, not by accident, because he's trying to teach them and us something. And here, here's, the, here's the big idea. 
Here's what he wants to do through them. Here's what he wants to do through us. That God, in essence, wants us to be like spiritual Amazon. I said this when we preached Luke a couple years ago. What does Amazon make? Nothing. Anyone have a shirt that says Amazon? You don't have a shirt that says Amazon. I need some Amazon shorts. They're great shorts, right? Amazon doesn't make anything. But what do they do? They deliver everything. In fact, I went away a few weeks to California. You know, you have to go through the security and you got to take off your belt and take off your hat, take off your glasses, take off your watch. I'm like, yeah, this is a time bomb, y'all. This is a... So I take off the watch, I run it through, I put it in the thing, it comes out the other side and this little thing that holds the strap in there, it's broke. So I'm in California for 10 days and this thing's flapping and driving me nuts. So as soon as I get home, where do I go? Amazon. And I type in flappy thing on watch. And I, I am not kidding you, within 24 hours, I had for $5.99 a brand new this thingy. <laughs> within 24 hours. Now that's not a miracle, but that is impressive. Let's give Jess Bezos his props, okay? That is impressive. And what God is saying to them and to us is, that's what I want for you. Okay, you don't have any power in yourself. But what I want you to do is be my delivery agent. And I want to get you, because I am compassionate and meet needs, I want my church and my disciples to meet the needs of people where they're at because that's what I do. And that's the kind of God I am. Because I want to do in you far more abundantly than you ask or think. I want to show and demonstrate my power in my people. That's what I want to do. And if if the Lord Jesus was here today, Here's what he would say to us. CBC, you feed them. If you're looking out and you're watching your cable news, oh, the city of Savannah is so bad. My kids' school's so bad. My marriage is this and my in-laws are this and my kids are this and my neighborhood is this. And Jesus would say, you are right. You feed them. Go. You feed them, Right? See, that, that's what we're doing. That, when we say go and be the church, we're not talking about drop your tithe check off and make sure you listen to praise music on the way home. We're saying, no, you are spiritual Amazon. Now go and meet the needs of those around you. That's what God is doing. He is sending you and me as him ambassadors, as his children, as those bought with the blood of Christ out into Savannah to be spiritual Amazon. You feed them. Go. He said, how can I do that? Well, two things from the text. Number one, you gotta start seeing with compassion like Jesus does. You can't just identify the problem. Some of you are great problem identifiers and then that's it. Oh, I see the problem. This is all, great. That's not enough to see the issue. They're hungry. Send them away. It's not enough to see. You gotta start, you gotta get outside yourself. Because as Gardner said earlier, and again, you might think that me and Gardner sit down and plan this entire service and like, I mean, I tell him where I'm preaching and he kind of prays about it and the spirit of God works. What he said this morning is, is exactly what I'm saying. It's not about you. Maybe for you, but it's not about you. And some of us gotta get outside of ourselves and stop treating the church and Christianity like it's a cruise ship. Okay, it's time to go down to the pool. Where's the buffet? Where's the limbo line? Come on, entertain me. We're on a ship together. 
It's not a cruise ship. It's an aircraft carrier. It's on a mission and it's going into the battle and you're supposed to be guarding and manning a post. The cruise ship comes later. Right now, it's a battleship and you're in a war and you need to be on it and it's not about you. And you gotta start, don't just see the needs, but you gotta start understanding God is sending you and you gotta see with compassion. And then the second thing is this, real simple. It's just bring what you got. What do you have? Well, it's like, guys, five loaves and two fish. That's all, no, that's all you need. That's, that's all you need, right? See, the problem with us is just like with Luke. We're like, oh, I can't do it. I'm just a 19-year-old. I'm just a single mom. I don't have an education. I'm a just a this. I'm the only Christian in my office. I'm the only one in my fraternity that goes to church. Oh, woe is me. We mope around and you do not get to self-deprecate you who are created in the image of God, filled with the spirit of God, bought with the blood of God. You don't get to do that. And this text reminds you, it's really not about you and your inadequacy. That's the point. Actually, if you come, look at what I got. I got a thousand fish and I got a thousand loaves. And, and that's actually probably gonna hurt you more if you say, I just got two and five. Because if you got a thousand and a thousand, you're gonna trust in your thousand loaves and think, look how good I am. And Jesus is gonna say, that's great, but I don't need that. I didn't need anything. I want someone that says, this is what I got. It's all I got. And they put it in his hands and say, here. And you say, I don't even know how to start doing that. Then start with just praying, with blessing it. Father, I got this. This is all I got. What do you want me to do? And we start leveraging our, it's stewarding our gifts and our time and our resources, not so we can come sing a couple songs so that you can go and make disciples and so you can go have an impact. You can see with compassion and move and meet needs. That's what we're calling us to do, right? That's when you start praying for things that are beyond what you can fathom. That's when you start asking for things, right? Asking, Holy Spirit, what have you put in my hands? Where have you put me? Where have you placed me? Oh, great, I'm the only, you're telling me I'm the only Christian in my fraternity house that goes to church? What an opportunity. You can bang on doors on your way out, go into church, come with me. It's an opportunity. You're the only school teacher at the elementary school you teach at that's, that's a Christian? Great. How awesome is that? It's start leveraging where God has you. Here's my time. Here's my finances. I got time. Okay, I, I, I just, I don't, I'm not good at much, but you know what you can do? You can go down and volunteer with Thrive and you can pray for, for, for lives to be saved. In fact, one of the directors of Thrive came up to me first service today and said, we saved two babies on Friday. If you go pray outside of Thrive and you save a life, is that far abundantly what you can ask or think? That's huge. That's, that's significant. Think, well, you know, I don't, I don't really have, I got a house. If you open your house up to a bunch of teenagers and feed them and let them play Xbox and love on them, you say, well, that's not anything big. Really, you don't know what that kid's home life is like. He might hate going home because his parents are, are either uh, always fighting or one of them left or it's miserable. And you are providing the only safe space for him to eat some pizza and play Call of Duty and you're loving on him? You don't think that has an impact? Ask Young Life what it's like to just build relationships and hang out with people and love on them. See if that's effective. You got a fourth car? It's, you're like, oh, you know, what are we gonna do with that fourth car? I can tell you that fourth car could be a significant life changer for that person over there who has zero car. If you just be willing to put, hey, I, got, I got this 
2002 Camry with 180,000 miles on it. And God can use that to change that person's life, right? Your time, your treasure, your talent. Maybe some of you are in a position where you're a, you're a boss and you get unlimited vacation, right? You got, you know, you're five weeks. And maybe next year, instead of taking that fifth trip to Europe, you go on one of our go trips and start seeing what's going on in Costa Rica. Or we actually go to New York City. You can go to New York City. It's a mission field in its own. Or you can go to Africa or you can go to Romania or whatever. And you take that week and you go there and see what God is doing in the nations. Or maybe you have employees and that, you know, you're like, well, you get two weeks vacation and you can go on a mission trip, but that's a week. Maybe you just give them that week and trust that God will make up the difference. Go on that week, it won't cost you. Go serve God. You don't know what God will do with that, right? Just bring your loaves and your fish. Trust that in his hands, right? Because the fields are ripe for harvest. You know who did this? And I saw it firsthand. I've seen it a ton, but, but one of the examples for us as a church is part of our story. In 2009, South Gardens Baptist Church, which had 20-something individuals meeting in that room over there with no pastor and they, we got connected with them. We had 100 folks meeting down at the Johnny Harris Banquet Hall and we got connected. And you know what they did? They said, here's our building. It's old, it's all wood paneling and it smells upstairs, it really did. <laughs> Carpet's old, everything's old. But here's our five loaves and here's our two fish. Here's our building. You guys take it and let's see what we can do. And 13 years later, here we are. 13 years later, how, we, we just planted a church last week in Richmond Hill that, by the way, already has 10 times what we had when we started our church. In fact, I, I, let, me be, let me confess, I, I'm jealous of Andrew and his team out there, okay? <laughs> Their building is nice. Their bathrooms are clean. They have parking. They have money because we gave them money. <laughs> they have multiple nurseries. But that's not count, that's just one little thing. You know why? Because 20 people had five loaves and two fish and said, here's our building, take it. How many people have we sent to the nations? How many people have been baptized because of the word of God is going out? Think about it. How many, we have, I think this is our sixth year that we have fully funded a translation of the Bible in a language that has not previously had the Bible. We have done that six times in the last six years. You know why? People in, I can't tell you where because they're, they're, under the radar places. But you know why people there now have the word of God in their language? Because 20 people said, here's my five loaves and two fish, take it. See, that's what God does when we just bring him what we got. You don't need much, it's not about you. And that is the point. That's what we need. Y'all, what we need is some people that grasp this. I thought when we planted a church in Richmond Hill, we sent 150 of our folks to Richmond Hill and 50 kids. So we sent 200 people to Richmond Hill and I thought it would actually free up some space in the room. Look around. It didn't. And this was, first service was actually fuller than this. So here's what we, here's, I wanna say this and, and please hear my heart in this. I'm not trying to be harsh. If you are here and you want a cruise ship, that seat needs to be filled with someone else. We, we're not a cruise ship. We, we're not hurting for people. It's funny about getting to go to Richmond Hill last week is uh, 
man, those folks, they, I mean, it is nicer than when we started. But what's awesome to see, what was refreshing to see is every single one of those folks is excited. They had 150 of our folks that went out there and, and there's a, you know how many people are serving in their church? 150. All 150 are on a team somewhere and they are inviting their neighbors like crazy and they're reaching out to everybody and say, hey, come to see what God is doing. And they have, you know, not as nice as a facility. It's nice, but it's not. We, we have the same gospel. I think some of us and myself included, we've lost the idea that God is still moving in this way and we need to get that. We need to get back on the battleship and put the cruise ship off for now. That's what, that's what we need to be. And that doesn't mean everyone needs to serve in the nursery. That's not what I'm saying. What it means is when you leave here, you are leveraging where you're at for the name of God. Gulfstream, Savannah High, downtown at SCAD, in your home, whatever it is. And you start by saying, God, here's my five loaves and two fish. Just bring what you got. That's all you have to do, right? And see what God will do. And, and here, here's what happens. And we'll move on. Who benefits from that? I mean, yeah, there's the needs met, right? 15,000 people ate. But, but by the next day, they're hungry still. Who really benefits when that's how you live your life? Who is most impacted? It's the 12. Because they're gonna remember years and years later. Remember that basket? Do you remember that basket? Do you remember that, how crazy that was? Five loaves and two fish and I couldn't even carry that thing. They remember it because it impacted them because the people are fed, but their faith is built. And you know who I think was the most impacted? I can't prove this. Maybe I'll find out when I get to heaven, I'm wrong. But I think the one that was most impacted was old boy that brought the Lunchable. Don't even know his name. But he saw his little sardines and five biscuits feed 15,000 people. I guarantee he never forgot that because that's what God does. Needs are met. My faith is increased and Jesus gets the glory, that's what we're doing. That's where we're going. But you gotta bring what you got. You gotta bring what you got. That's the first thing. Let me read the second miracle. This is my, one of my favorite passages in, in the gospel of Matthew. And immediately, he made the disciples get in the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. But when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat, by this time, was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when his disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to go to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased and those in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. Again, Matthew tells us details the other gospel writers don't, but so they get into the boat. Everyone's been fed. Jesus sends them away and he tells his disciples, get in the boat and go to the other side. So apparently they have a meeting place. Sea of Galilee is not a, it's not a huge lake, so they can kind of go shorter and he's gonna kind of walk and meet them there maybe the next morning. He doesn't, didn't say, but that's the deal. And so they get in the boat. He goes up on the mountain to have a quiet time in essence. And evening comes, Jesus is there alone and the boat is in the middle and you're kind of going back and forth to these two, these two images. 
right? And these guys are in the boat and they're struggling. The waves are coming. And what you need to know about the Sea of Galilee, it is the lowest uh, freshwater lake in the world. It's about 650 to 700 feet below sea level. And then there's mountains around. And so when the, the cold air and the warm air from the water mix, it beca- causes all these storms that come up just like, you know, five o'clock Savannah in July, right? It's like it's sunny. Next moment, boom, right? Lightning. That's what happens on the Sea of Galilee. Although it's even more dangerous because when you're in the middle of the ocean and all of a sudden these waves start coming, they can flip a boat and you can die because there's no Coast Guard. And so that's what's going on. And these guys are struggling, even though they're experts on the water. I mean, you got at least four of them that are professional fishermen. They are struggling. They are being beaten by the waves. The wind is against them. And it says in the fourth watch, here's what that means. It means between 3 and 6 a.m. So it's, it's been, if you do the math, if, if they get in a boat around 8 o'clock when it's evening, that means these dudes have been rowing for eight hours going nowhere, struggling for eight hours trying to get to the other side and they're not making any headway. Remember, they're already tired. They've already done ministry. They've done a mission trip. They got back as soon as the mission trip, they had to go to a full day Sunday service. They haven't slept. They did eat, but they are tired. They are weary. And now they are getting crushed out in the lake. And Jesus is over there having a quiet time. That's what's going on, okay? And so they're already tired and they're struggling. And then, in the fourth watch, in the middle of the night, they see something with the wind and the waves. And Matthew, will you start rowing? I'm tired. Oh, you know, they're, they're doing it. And they see something out of the corner of their eye. And they're like, what is that? And they're like, it's a ghost. Which is fascinating to me that the disciples believe in ghosts. And these are the foundation of the church, by the way. That makes you wonder. It's a ghost. But Jesus speaks to them and says, take heart. Be courageous. It's me. Literally, it's ego a me, which is the phrase that Jesus uses to affirm his deity throughout the gospels. Before Abraham was, ego a me. I am the bread of life. I am the way. It's his way of saying, you don't need to be afraid because the I am, Yahweh, the one who is, is here. So take courage. And Peter being first to speak, first to act, he's the Marine. He says, if it is you, and it's, it's, in the, it's a first-class condition in the Greek, so it's an assumed true statement. Jesus, if it's you, and I know it is, tell me to come on the water. She says, bring it, Peter. Come on. And so Peter does a duck dive off the front of that boat. And you can imagine what the other disciples are thinking. All right, we're down to 11. <laughs> Who's in charge now? But Peter gets out. And he starts walking on the water. Now, I mean, again, and don't think, okay, we're walking on a frozen pond. It's like, yeah. I mean, wind, waves, three to six foot seas. Maybe, maybe, maybe who knows, six to eight foot seas. I mean, you're talking, woo, he's walking and, you know, and wind in the face and the water in the face. And they're all thinking he's going to die. And he's going to Jesus like, I cannot believe this. And then he really thinks in his mind, I cannot believe this. What in the world am I doing out here? And sees the wind and he's afraid and he starts to sink and he says the quickest prayer ever says in his life, Lord, help. And what does Jesus do? Grabs him, brings him in, says, oh, you a little faith, why did you? Peter, we were having so much fun for a minute there. And Peter gets a bad rap. Why did you, do, why did you doubt, Peter? But I can tell you this, five, 10 years later when the disciples are sitting around the table and everyone's talking, who's the only one at that table that walked on water? 
I guarantee Peter's like, hey, y'all can talk all you want, but I walked on water. I don't care. He's the only one that had the guts to get out of the boat, even if he did doubt. But then they get into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshiped, saying, you truly, you are the son of God. As if, why, now are you just coming to that realization? After the 15,000 people, after the dead raised, after all these other things, right? But what is, what is Jesus trying to teach them and us? How is he trying to increase their faith? What's he trying to show us? What you often hear when this passage is preached is this. Jesus calmed the storm so he can calm the storm in your life. Let's pray. Is that the message here? I mean, is that true? He can calm the storm, yes. I don't think that's the message. And, and we kind of flippantly, Jesus can calm the storm in your life. When we land there, okay, well, what happened to that person that died of cancer? How come they didn't get calm storm? What happens when something bad happens and it doesn't get fixed? When you do lose the job, when you do declare bankruptcy, when, the, when the, the marriage did dissolve and you're like, I didn't want that. What happens then to that storm? The point is not that Jesus can calm the storm. He can do it in your life. Yes, that is true. I think getting to the idea here, uh, you gotta ask a couple questions of the text and then we can see why and how Jesus is increasing their faith. Question number one is this. Why are they in the storm? Why? I'll tell you why. Because they listened to Jesus. Did he not say, get into the boat? Verse 22, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat. So why are they in the storm? Because they listen to the word of God, right? That's why they are in the storm. And sometimes you need to understand this. This is, this is not easy and you won't see it uh, on TV sometimes, but you need to know that you will be right smack dab in the middle of God, being obedient to God, and he is going to send you into the storm. It is going to happen. He did it to his disciples, right? Because there's two, there's two big big idea of purposes of storm. There's the storms of correction, right? Where God sends a storm to correct you like Jonah. Remember Jonah's running this way. God said, go this way. So what does he do? He sends a storm. And sometimes there's storms in your life because God is trying to correct you. And so you went crazy with credit cards. You went crazy with debt. And now you're like, we can't do anything. We're struggling with debt. That's a storm of correction because of this. And so it's to get you back here. Or, or maybe you're in a bad relationship and everyone's like, he's not for you. And he's not for you. And he's not for you. And grandma says he's not for you. And uncle says he's not for you. And, and your friends say he's not for you. And you're still with him. And it's all sorts of toxicity. God's trying to show you, hey, storm of correction. Maybe your entire life you've eaten unhealthy, you don't exercise, you know, you've treated your body badly and now you're facing, you're in your 50s and you're like, oh man, I'm, I'm in a horrible shape. It's a storm of correction because of these decisions you made. So there's that kind of storm, but there's also storms of perfection where God is trying to make you more like his son to refine you, to reveal what's truly in your heart and what you really believe and what you really trust and where your affections lie. And so sometimes they'll send stores of circumstances. And a storm is just anything in your life that comes up that you, that you can't control. A circumstance, an event that you have no control, like wind and waves and sea that you can't control. No matter how good you are with a boat, you can't do anything about it. And he will allow these things and send these things into your life so that there's even a hopelessness and a, and a, a helplessness, right? That's how it feels. I can't do anything. And there's emotional storms where the medical report comes back tomorrow and we're real fearful. 
or there's a relationship that's, that's been destroyed in everything you do. You, everything you've tried to do and, and you cannot do anything. This person will not return your calls. This person will not see you, right? There's theological storms where I hear Fowler and Clint talking about God loves me and God cares for me and I hear it on Sunday and then I go out on Monday and my life is the exact opposite because if God really cared about me, then why is fill in the blank? Why is all this happening? So what they're saying is true and what I'm experiencing is not. And so I doubt, like Peter, God, why, why am I sinking? All sorts of storms. And God is trying to perfect and, and move you to be more like his son. And he's allowing these things. And, and think about this. Could Jesus have calmed the storm right away as soon as it came up? He's on the mountain. Storm probably went right by him. You think he saw them out in the middle of the water? You think they were like, where are you? Why, why do we get in the boat? Where is Jesus? He's up doing his quiet time. We're down here struggling. If he cared, why would he leave us? How long did he leave him? Eight hours? On purpose? Why would he do that? He's trying to teach him. What? Here's the second question. Why walk on the water? Why not just be like, storm gone. You guys all right? You're welcome. No, he starts walking on the water and coming to them. Why? Because he is walking on top of the very thing that they are fearful of. He is walking on top of the thing that is threatening them. And it's in essence him saying, I got this. (laughs) I'm on top of it. You're fearful of sickness, death. Has Jesus got death? Has he got sickness? In the resurrection, you've got financial, relational. Jesus, Jesus say, I, I got your daily bread. Does he got those things? Is he on top of those things? Absolutely. And what he is trying to show them is what he's, and it's what he's trying to show us is he's on top of it. And what does he say? Be strong. Why? It is me. It is I. I am here. He's trying to show them that opposition's gonna come. They're in the, in the, in the gospel of Matthew. We're in the, Israel versus Jesus. This is opposition. And he's trying to get them ready. When I'm gone, there's going to be more opposition. But when I'm gone to be with my father, I'm sending my spirit. I will always be with you because I am the heavy. And if I am here, you don't need to fear. If I am near, I'm on top of the storm. He gets in the boat. What happens? Everything shuts down. Have you thought about that? How does a storm just shut down? You can't talk to a storm. A thunderstorm comes by and you're like, go away. It doesn't have ears. It doesn't hear. It doesn't have emotions. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to bother your golf game. But it responds to him. He gets in the boat, gone. Why? Because he is Lord of creation. Because he upholds the universe with his right hand. And if that is the God who says, I am here. Remember the gospel of Matthew, how it starts? Your child shall be born. His name will be what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. How does the gospel end? Go into the world and make disciples and behold, I am with you always. It starts and ends with God is with you. And what he is trying to get you and I and them to see is when I am with you, you don't need to worry. Doesn't mean it's gonna be easy and doesn't mean there's not gonna be a storm. There is. You're either coming out of a storm, going into a storm, or you're in the middle of a storm. That's life. But I'm here. And if I'm here, You can ride it out, even if it's eight hours, 10 hours, whatever. When I was a freshman at the Citadel, I went up to uh, University of South Carolina one weekend, me and my buddies, we were all shaved heads, 
called Knobs, and uh, looked like we were in the military. And we ran into the football team. South Carolina does have a football team. I know they don't play very often, but they, uh, they do have one. <laughs> and uh, we ran into the football team. This is the mid-90s. And this, I was about 110 pounds at the time, you know, and so I was a little guy. And this offensive lineman adopted me. And he, he literally put me on my, his shoulders. 300-pound offensive lineman. He's like, everywhere we went, this is Bill. See, they, they thought we were Iraq vets because it was 1992. And so they thought we were all Iraq vets. I didn't tell them we weren't, okay? I, I, <laughs> because they were making such a big deal of us, we felt bad. So this is Bill. He took me everywhere. And I'm telling you, as a 110-pound dude on this 300-pound guy's shoulders, I felt invincible. Because I had never been that high except in an airplane in my life. <laughs> but he said, this is Bill. And everywhere we went, this is Bill, everybody. And everyone's like, oh, it's Bill. Why? Because I was with this guy. How much greater is the one when you just climb into a boat? And what he wants us to see. Enough with the you can't. Enough with the I'll try. Enough with the I don't believe. I am with you. And if you're in a storm, I'm not making light of it. I really am not. I get it. I get the storms. Right? I'm not... But you've got to ask first, is this a storm of correction? If it is, then we respond. Or is this a storm of perfection? And what we say is, you know what? Even in the storm, God will sustain me. And he will walk with me. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear why your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And it's time to keep our eyes fixed on the author and perfecter. Let me give you a verse. We'll close. Great verse for you if you're in the storm. Great verse for us to be reminded of. Great verse if you're like, okay, let's go. I'm Amazon. Isaiah 26. This is a great memory verse, by the way, for some of you. You keep him or her in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Why? Because he trusts you. Feel inadequate today? Struggling with anxiety, depression, relational challenges? Like, who am I? All that, it really doesn't matter. It's not who am I, it's who is he. God wants to meet you where you're at. He wants to walk on top of your storm. He wants to walk with you. You may not remove it, but he will walk with you. And he certainly wants you to go and be the church and be spiritual Amazon and meet the needs of those around you. And that's where we're going. That's what he wants to do. Let me pray. We'll prepare our hearts for the Lord's table. Father, I thank you. For the reminder of these miracles, build our faith, Lord. We say like the the gospel writers, increase our faith. Help us to believe wherever we're at. Help us to believe. We don't need giant faith. We need faith the size of a mustard seed. It's not the, the size of our faith. It is the object. And you are the author and perfecter of our faith. Let our turn our eyes. Let us keep our eyes fixed on you. Wherever we're at, wherever we've been. We pray in Christ's name. When John talks about this miracle, he immediately goes into Jesus's discourse on saying, I am the bread of life. You gotta gotta feed on me to have eternal life. And it's this image of of internalizing what Jesus has said. And it's an image of also of the Old Testament of the, the manna in the wilderness, right? That God fed them daily from the manna. And now Jesus is the bread that comes from heaven that satisfies. And it's this picture of what we're about to even celebrate here in a minute, the Lord's table, where Jesus says, this is my body. 
It's for you. This is my blood that's shed for you. And these miracles point even to that reality. And so if you're a a Christian this morning, we're gonna celebrate the table. If you're not a Christian, there's no pressure. We we ask you to let the elements go by because this is for those who have put their faith in Christ. But here's what I want us to remember. Jesus is enough. He satisfies. He is the bread of life. He has offered himself for you. You say, I don't know if I don't, it doesn't feel like he, he loves me. These elements we will hold are just reminders for you that he loves you, that he is with you, and he will be always. He cannot break his word. So as you have a chance to think, just spend a few moments. You guys can come on and hand these out. And uh, the team is gonna sing over us. You can sing along with them. You can listen to the words. You can just pray in your heart. Think about how you're prone to wander. Confess your sins and and. Just reaffirm your faith in who Jesus is and what he has done. That he has given himself for you for the forgiveness of your sins. And then we'll, I'll come back up and lead us to take together in just a few moments.